Fantastic. Amen. It's good. Great to be in the house of God every uh, weekend. And I want to speak to you today about why every believer needs to be anointed. And to introduce this subject, I want to just tell a story that I've told a couple times in the service, but I think repetition is an important part of our teaching experience. In 1998, I had the privilege of meeting Reinhard Bonke. He was my, my hero growing up as a pastor. Always wanted to preach like him. And uh, uh, I was excited and nervous at the same time driving uh, to the lunch. And when I got there, there were seven other people apart from myself and Brother Reinhardt. And we sat around the table. We started talking. And he was telling us about Africa, what God was doing in Africa. Halfway to the lunch, I plucked out my courage and I raised my hands and I said, Sir, can I ask you a question? He said, Yes, of course you can. And I, I said, um, I'm a young pastor, I'm inexperienced, I don't understand about the anointing. Would you talk to us? Would you tell us more about how the anointing operates? My goodness, that man started preaching on the table. The second question I, I preached, he was on fire. By the third question, I think he was ready to give an altar call. And I never forgot that precious moment when he looked at me over the table and he said, young man, I want to pray for you. And uh, he laid hands on me. He said, many are called, few are chosen. And the Lord said, I choose you. What an incredible moment for me. What an incredible experience. But the strange thing was, I didn't feel a single goosebump. I didn't swoon. I didn't fall over. I didn't shake. And I thought to myself, Lord, is there something wrong with me? This is the greatest evangelist that I know apart from Billy Graham. And he's laying hands on me and I don't feel anything. But when I got back home uh, to my, uh, you know, and I opened the Bible, bam, came alive started praying, oh my goodness, my prayer life came alive. And I realized something, I caught something from the man. It's like a virus, I caught something from the man and, uh, and it energized me. And this is what I want to see happen today in the service. I want to pray that God will release an anointing over your life, hallelujah. Now, all of you in this room have already been anointed. So what I need to do is to just put the key in, turn on the ignitions, and, uh, and, and activate something that God has already done for you. Now, you have all been anointed. You just need to be activated. Amen. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been truly born again by the Spirit, then at your salvation experience, God, your heavenly Father, bestowed upon you at least four different gifts. Now there are more, obviously, but I just mentioned four. You have all been given a measure of faith. Now the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God. So God deposits a measure of faith in order that we may please Him. Now the wonderful thing about faith is faith can grow and develop in us. Paul tells us that we all to grow from faith to faith, amen. The second thing that all of you have been given is a measure of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agency into which you got born again in the kingdom and we all, all of us have a measure of the Holy Spirit in us. Can we have more of the Holy Spirit? The short answer, yes you can. Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure. Now, we are given the Holy Spirit in measures, obviously, uh, but we have the permission of Scripture to ask God for more of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea of, the Jewish idea of uh, being filled is to overflow. Now, some of you are one-third filled of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may be half-filled. Some of you are three-quarter filled. But boy, I want to be full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
The third thing that you've all been given is a measure of grace. Paul tells us to each one has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The word for grace is the word charis, uh, where we get the word charisma or charismatic. It's a divine enablement that helps you function in ministry. It's a manifold grace. In other words, there is a grace for every different ministry. The body of Christ is very diverse. There are many members in the body of Christ. There's a grace for preaching. There's a grace for teaching. There's a grace for leading worship. There's a grace for the prophetic. There's a grace for administrations, for healings, for the creative arts, for media. And you need to discover what God has graced you for. Now, all these gifts are from your heavenly Father. Freely you have received, freely give, but how you steward the gift is your responsibility. Amen. And you are accountable to God for that. Number four, you have all been anointed. Amen. Now I want to talk about this today. Every believer has received an anointing from the Holy One and this anointing enables you to function and serve in the capacity for which God has designed you. The anointing is like putting the key in the ignition and turning it on. It's like the spark that ignites the gifts of God within you. Now, the only way for us to truly appreciate the anointing is to understand who and why people in the Old Testament were anointed. In the Old Testament, three different classes of people were anointed. Kings, priests, and lepers. Now, we all are probably familiar with the anointing that is upon kings. You know, David was anointed, Solomon was anointed, and also on priests, people like Aaron and his sons were anointed for ministry. But it's interesting that the lepers were anointed as well. Now, leprosy is a dreaded disease, and it slowly consumes the flesh of its victims. Body parts like toes and fingers starts dropping off uh, until they are consumed by the disease. In the Old Testament, when a person has leprosy, he is banished from the community and he has to, whenever he comes into contact with people, he has to say, unclean, unclean, because the disease is contagious. Now, leprosy is a type of sin. Just as leprosy destroys the physical body, sin destroys the soul. Leviticus 14 tells us all about uh, how a leper had to remain outside the camp He's not permitted in until he is healed. And my friends, I tell you, God was a gracious God. I tell you, He was healing people of leprosy in the Old Testament. When they got healed, the priest would go out and examine the leper. And then he would apply the blood of the sacrifice, bring him back into the camp, wash him, uh, you know, remove all the clothes. And, uh, you know, he, he, they would be shaved and apply the blood, anoint with oil again. It was an elaborate process. But finally, the man is clean. And then he was pronounced clean by the priest. Only God can heal a person from leprosy. Now, in the same way, sin cannot be removed except by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. I say all of that to say to you that every single one of you in this auditorium who have received Jesus Christ as your Savior has received the leper's anointing. This is the common anointing that is bestowed upon every one of you at salvation. You have all been anointed and you have all been pronounced clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's interesting that when a leper is pronounced clean, he's anointed by the priest on his ear, right thumb, and right toe. The anointing on his ear enables him to hear the voice of God. And ladies and gentlemen, please do not, do not say, I don't hear the voice of God. You can hear the voice of God. You don't have to come to your pastor to try and get a word from God. You go to God and get a word from Him. Amen. 
All of us have been anointed with on our right tongue, which is our ability and empowerment to function and the anointing on our toys to enable us to walk in proper relationship with the Lord. So there's no excuse. Amen. There are two words I want to introduce to you. And sometimes we get confused because they sound similar, but they're very different. The first word is the word charisma. And it's the Greek word meaning anointing or unction. It's the endowment of the Holy Spirit. It appears only twice in the New Testament. 1 John 2 and verse 20, but you have a charisma from the Holy One and you know all things. Seven verses down in 27, but, you, but the charisma which you have received from Him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing, the same charisma teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. There are two, three things about this anointing. Number one, it's a teaching anointing. Hallelujah. Number two, it's an abiding anointing. And number three, this anointing comes from the Holy One. What does that mean? It means the anointing doesn't come upon you just because someone poured oil over your head or because you were voted in at some church meeting. If and when that happens, it's just a recognition of the gift of God that's already in you. Listen, we don't ordain ministers. We just install them and recognize the gift of God that's already in people. Hallelujah. Amen. But I believe that if we will abide in Him and He in us, then we can never lose the anointing. It's like, you know, you cannot be unanointed, hallelujah, once you're anointed. Amen? Once you're anointed, you're activated. In the Old Testament, the anointing was poured upon a person. But in the New Testament, it was poured in a person to activate the gifts of God. Now, I personally don't think that we can have more of the leper's anointing it's a teaching anointing, it's an abiding anointing, but it's a sufficient anointing. Once you're anointed, you're ready to function. A lot of people would pray and say, God, I want a greater anointing. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer before, but the question I want to ask you is, what are you doing with what He has already given to you? A lot of, a friend of mine, the Lord said to him, why should I increase the flow of the anointing in your life if you're not using what I've already given unto you? Jesus alluded to it, He said, the more you use, the more it will be given to you. I tell you this, the key in, cre in increasing the flow of the anointing in your life is to function with what He has already given to you. Amen. So don't lose the anointing. You don't lose the anointing. But what can happen is you can block the anointing from flowing in you. Now let me just say some things about the anointing. It's a copious anointing in the Old Testament. When the priest poured the anointing oil over the person, it was a copious anointing. In other words, God doesn't just dab a little anointing oil on your forehead. He pours it into you in copious, in large amounts because He's not stingy when it comes to the anointing. Why? Because this heavenly unction, without this, nothing will work. Your education, your talent, your energy, your sincerity, even your pedigree, all are important, but they count for nothing next to the anointing. Hallelujah. The anointing of God is His ordination on a person and the anointed must be appointed. Woo! Amen. The second word is the word charisma. It's the Greek word meaning unmerited favour. Now, charisma is not the same as charisma. They sound the same, but they're not the same. Unfortunately, a lot of people today seem to be more interested in charisma, sometimes viewed as personality, than they are in charisma. We sometimes seem to be more interested with the man 
with the gifting rather than the man with the anointing. Now, sometimes you have to wonder with all the messages, all the sermons and all the worship on social media, how in the earth can Christians be so much bondage? How can they walk in to church bound week in, week out? 20 years later, they're still bound in their sin. And maybe it could be because we have a lot of gifted preachers on the platform, but not necessarily anointed preachers. There's a big difference between the anointing and the gifting. A gift will entertain a crowd, a gift will fill the room, but it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Five ingredients in the anointing oil in the Old Testament, four were spices. If you add one more spice, you've got the Spice Girls. <laughs> they mixed the, the spices in, the, in, in the olive oil, and olive oil comes from olives that have been crushed. We're a generation that wants to give, but we don't want to be crushed. And if it doesn't change, then we're gonna have people who are gifted on the platform rather than anointed. Now God doesn't want to parade you, but He wants to bring you to the grinder and to the degree that you're willing to allow Him to crush you, I believe to that degree, that anointing to minister is going to flow through you, amen. Now the greatest anointing in the Bible was upon our Lord Jesus Christ. No one comes even close. The Spirit of God was given to him without measure. Psalms 45 verse 7 tells us that he was anointed above all his companions. Why? Because no one loved righteousness like he did and no one hated wickedness like he did. In Luke 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is now upon me for he said, anointed me to preach. Let me just say there's an active anointing in preaching. If you don't have an unction to preach, my friends, you should not be preaching because preaching without the unction, without the anointing, is the most dreadful thing to listen to. But preaching is not the only thing we're anointed for. Oftentimes when I use the word anointing, boy, we get a, our minds conjure a powerful preacher on the platform, or our minds conjure a worship leader that can sing like an angel, or we conjure a man in our minds that uh, can do mighty miracles. But I tell you this, you cannot limit the anointing to the platform. There is also an anointing to pray for the sick, anointing for prophesying, for anointing for the arts, the dance. How many of you know you need to be anointed to dance? Because if it's not, it's horrible. <laughs> for administrations, for media, for strategic planning, whatever God has called you to, don't limit the anointing to the platform, amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil and God was with him. Now, if Jesus had to be anointed, how much more you and I? And it was God who anointed Jesus of Nazareth. What does that mean? It means it was not the World Council of Churches. <laughs> Your denomination doesn't anoint you, amen? When humans start anointing and appointing individuals outside of the will of God, then there'll be a conflict when someone truly anointed shows up, true. And then you're gonna have the anointed versus the unanointed. Apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, there were two other men who were the most anointed men in the Bible. One was Moses and the other was Elijah. They were called the sons of oil or the two olive trees that stands before the Lord of heaven and earth. They stood before Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and those two men were created by God before the foundation of the earth to be the constant companions to our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great privilege. Moses was the lawgiver. His anointing was wisdom. 
And he was given a wisdom so great that he laid the foundation for the modern state of Israel and not just the Israel, but for all of Western civilization. He gave Israel her law, her Torah, her tabernacle, statutes, governance, and almost about everything else. Moses' anointing was wisdom. Elijah's anointing was power. My goodness, Israel had never seen such a man like, like Elijah. He had the authority to call fire down from heaven whenever he wished. He had the authority to shut up the heavens, the authority to send a drought. He had the authority to open the heavens. That man carried a power, boy, that we need to see in the church today. Now, when these two anointings come together, Moses and Elijah, power and anointing, you have a picture of a little of what was upon Jesus Christ. Come on, hallelujah. He is the anointed one that thrills me. This brings me to a powerful truth that what is greater than an individual anointing is a corporate anointing. Watch this, please. I have a measure of grace. If I take my measure of grace and I pour it into Pastor Timothy, into his measure of grace, and he pours his measure of grace into Sharon, and Sharon pours it to Elvin, how many of you that soon, sooner we are going to have grace without measure? Huh? And grace without measure is called the ministry of Jesus. Grace without measure, spirit without measure, anointing without measure. That can only happen when we are totally one and united. My anointing, when joined to your anointing, multiplies our anointing. And we are coming into a season that we must start thinking corporately. Now more than just a personal anointing, we need a corporate anointing because both Old Testament and New Testament reveals that the highest levels of anointing are the corporate anointings. I, wanna, I read somewhere about Belgium horses, the strongest horse in the world. And an average Belgium horse can pull between 12,000 to 14,000 pounds. So if you put two Belgium horses, logically they should be able to, to pull 24 to 28,000 pounds. Yes? No. But when you yoke two Belgium horses together, they can pull over 35,000 pounds. And the reason for that is when you yoke two Belgium horses, they overexert to set the pace. They're always trying to outpace the other. One will put to flight 1,000, but two will put to flight 10,000. There's a multiplier effect in the anointing, which is why we can no longer think in terms of just the individual anointing, but we need to think of uh, corporate anointing. 80% of all businesses in America are sole proprietorships, single owner. 10% are partnerships. Only 10% are corporations, but 90% of all the profits in America come from the 10% that are corporations because there's something about cooperating, working with one another that releases the multiplier effect. Am I making sense to you? The new wine or the anointing is found in the cluster, Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Now, this corporate anointing is hindered if everybody wants to be number one, right? So instead of working together, you know, we're competing. Listen, it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as Jesus gets the glory. Amen. Remember one time Jesus uh, was in the city of Nazareth? We're told that he could not do mighty miracles. Remember? Why? Because the atmosphere was so pregnant with unbelief. They were not just hostile towards him. They dishonored him as the prophet of God. They had no honor for the prophet and all Jesus could do was lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
What does that mean? It means that the atmosphere in a service plays a massive role in determining the outcome of a service. Come on. We have seven English services here in Cornerstone. If you include the generation service. Can I tell you this? The atmosphere in every service is different from the other. In some services, it's so easy to preach. When you stand up, the anointing is already flowing. Hallelujah. In some services, you really got to plow a little harder. You know, you got to work a bit harder to get the breakthrough. You want, to meet, you want me to tell you what the 1015 service is like? I think it's one of the best services in Cornerstone. It's easy to preach here, very easy. It's not always easy to preach at the five o'clock, which is our most crowded service, by the way. But I tell you, yesterday something happened. I got up and started preaching. Before the worship, during the worship, the presence of God was so heavy. I didn't even think I was going to be making up to the pulpit. Such a weight of the glory of the presence. And we want to see that in every service. What changes the atmosphere? It's hunger. It's the expectation and anticipation. How many of you came to church this morning and said, boy, I know I'm going to meet God. How many of you came to church prepared in your heart and you say, God, I'm going to draw the anointing from the, of the Word. Hallelujah. Now it means, the second thing that the story means is that no one can shut the anointing in you. There are some places, watch this. Jesus would go into some villages and He would walk past the village and people would just reach out and touch the hem of his garment and everybody would get healed. Because the anticipation, expectation was so high. The faith level was so high. But in Nazareth, he could only lay hands on a few people and heal the sick. The power still flowed in spite of the fact that the level of unbelief was so high because no one can shut the anointing down. Jesus could go deep in and draw within himself the divine resource to heal the sick. When you hear men like Smith Wigglesworth saying, if God is not moving, I will move him. Hallelujah. It's not a statement of arrogance. They know what they carry. And even in the most deadest of places, whew, you, can, you cannot shut down the anointing. General William Booth used to say, I am not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. Hallelujah. And I think God loves that kind of divine and courageous audacity. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, Paul says, stir up the gift of God that is through you. Your gift needs to be stirred up. Your gift needs to hear your voice. You need to say, I command the gift of God within me to be stirred and move. Hallelujah. Shanda Bahata. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is inspired by God. But not all Scripture stirs up your gift. You need to find out the Scriptures that stirs your gift. Now some seasons, some anointings have a very specific task and they come to you, on, and they come to you for a specific season in your lives. Just looking at the time. All right. Now we must be careful that we don't overstay our season. There are two men in the Bible, Bezalel and Oholiab. The only two men, first two men in the Bible, where the Bible talks about putting, God putting His Spirit upon them and place upon them a special anointing to do a special work. They were given wisdom, understanding and knowledge to work with jewellery, wood carving, tapestry, engraving, weaving, artistry in gold, silver and bronze and to teach the skill. Hallelujah. 
The purpose was to build a tabernacle in the wilderness that God gave according to, to Moses, according to the specifications. And this was what they were anointed for. I started out my ministry in my early 20s. I was a worship leader. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't a preacher. I was a worship leader. And I was actively involved in worship in small groups. And then I led worship in the main services. And then I led worship in the university campus that I was in. And then in the national gatherings, full gospel businessmen's fellowship. And the platforms got larger and larger. And I led, I think, three, four times in the indoor stadium. Uh, and I was an anointed worship leader. But that season came to an end. And the Lord released me into my next season, which was what I would call the rock music seminar season. Hallelujah. In those days, there were these 12-inch long-playing record, vinyl records that if you turn them on the reverse and slow the speed down, you can sometimes hear these subliminal voices within the records uh, praising Satan and worshiping and glorifying the devil. And so we were trying to expose the whole backward masking in this uh, industry. And then, of course, the Elderman jacket covers were so grotesque and very demonic. Today, you don't have to worry. They're very explicit. They don't hide anything today. But in those days, there was a lot of subliminal messaging. And so I was doing this for about three to four years. And I tell you this, my friends, uh, that season was so successful. I was popular. I had invitations to preach every weekend, every week, at least once or twice. I learned how to give an altar call. I cut my teeth preaching these messages. I saw hundreds come to salvation. I was interviewed on TV, on radio, on the, in the newspapers. But I tell you this, the season after about four years came to an end, it lifted up and that was it. I had to move on. And this was before I came, I was in the ministry, just started the ministry. Long before I was even started to preach as a pastor, I was preaching in these meetings. I remember when I was a, a young pastor, we were part of the Anglican church. Some of you remember the Vision Sunday story. And I said before this priest, because they had to evaluate if I was worthy to get a license to preach the gospel. Come on. So I remember sitting beside this uh, Anglican priest and he said to me, he said, if you are going to prepare a message, what would you do? I said, well, I would pray and ask God for a word. Hallelujah. That's what I do. And finally, at the end of the conversation, he said, I'm sorry, I cannot give you a license to preach. You cannot preach the gospel because you didn't have an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. I'm so glad that while men said I didn't have a license to preach, God anointed me to preach, hallelujah. What I'm saying is that it was a special anointing for a special season. Don't make the mistake of trying to build your life on a certain season, uh, on a special anointing, unless, understand it's only for a season, and when the anointing lives, you need to move on to the next assignment. Don't try to keep, give, keep it going, it's over. Move on, don't overstay your season, amen. And thank God that He used you in that season, but keep following the cloud of glory. 33 years in ministry, I kept following the cloud, one thing after another, but we need to move on ahead, amen. There's, there's something worse than, than move, and sometimes the moving forward is hard, but going backwards is not an option. Now what, do you, what does the anointing do for us? It enables you to perform a task that naturally you're unable to perform. Have you ever seen these pop stars, performers on stage doing crazy stuff, mesmerizes the audience, 
And the truth is many of them are doing what they can do only because they're high on drugs. It's the amphetamines, it's the booze, it's the drugs that energizes them to make them do all these crazy stuff and come alive. Without them, they cannot perform. That's true. But we are children of God. We don't need a leg up. We don't need a drug to get stimulated, psyched, or pumped up. We have something far greater. It's called the anointing. And the anointing enables us to do ordinarily what we cannot do. All of us have heard preaching that made our hearts burn with fire. All of us have heard singing that wants to make us soar into the heavens. Oh my goodness. And we're thinking, what is happening? It's the anointing. It's transcendental. Hallelujah. And it's supernatural. Pastor, is, it, is the use of the anointing all biblical? Mark 6 and verse 13 says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, with oil many who were sick and healed them. James 5.14 says, If anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. It's not the anointing oil that heals the sick. The anointing oil is not a magic potion. We are not superstitious people. It's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. Then what's the point of the anointing oil? The point of the anointing oil is when you stick to the obedience to the Word of God, it allows God to work with you in that circumstance. I want to encourage you as often as you can. Anoint yourself with oil. I carry a vial of oil. In the mornings when I leave my house, I anoint myself. I say, I'm the anointed of God, hallelujah. I said to the Lord, Lord, anoint me with fresh oil. I did this today, I did this yesterday and the day before. Every time I walk out, I want to be anointed. Now apart, I'll close with this, apart from the leper's anointing, there are two other anointings mentioned in Scripture, the kingly anointing and the priestly anointing. We all know something about this, but don't sell yourself short, my friends. Don't stay at just the leper's anointing. God has got more for you. The priest has to do with the censor. And it has to do with worship and prayer and intercession. The king has to do with the scepter that's ruling and reigning with Christ. David, and the only best, the best way to illustrate this is David. David was anointed three times. The first time in 1 Samuel 16, when the prophet Samuel comes to the house of Jesse, anoints David. That anointing carried him for many years. And the first thing that that anointing did was it gave him the power to overcome a giant called Goliath. And then that anointing gave him the authority to fight with the Philistines. But the anointing also helped enable David to carry the grace to endure the contradiction, the pain and the humiliation, running away from a very bloodthirsty king who was out to kill him. For 13 years, David had the anointing to carry him through all those difficult trials. And finally, that anointing enabled him to write the most beautiful songs that he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. Then... The second anointing was when the elders of Judah came and they anointed David as the tribal warlord over the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Nothing much happened in the second anointing except in the next three chapters between the second and the third anointing. The house of Saul weakened and God consolidated the house of David. We don't see very much happening because it was the priestly anointing and the priestly anointing usually happens in the closet when you're praying. Hallelujah. And finally, David was anointed the third time when all of Israel came to Hebron and anointed David the third time 
And that was the kingly anointing. He was anointed for war. Did you know that all of the great wars that David fought happened after the third anointing? The first thing that David did, he went to the city of Jebus, where the Jebusites was. The Jebusites were such a cocky and arrogant people. They never believed that anyone could displace them from the position that they were in. They were in a fortress. Joshua could not do it. Saul could not do it. The judges could not do it. But David, under that third great anointing, came and within 24 hours, possessed Jebus and renamed it Zion. Hallelujah. And that anointing enabled him to wage war with the Ammonites and the Moabites and all the other cellulites. Hallelujah. Shanda. And the Assyrians. And no one could come against David because of that third anointing over his life. He was anointed king over the tribes of Israel. Hallelujah. There are degrees of anointing, my friends. Don't be satisfied where you are. I want to pray for you this morning that God would do something so powerful. You know, um, we, must, we must faithfully serve in the ministry that God has called us to. Don't reduce your life to just coming to church week after week and fellowshipping with the back of somebody's head once a week. That's not your destiny, amen. You have something greater than that. Value the anointing that's upon your life. If you messed up, repent. Ask God to change you. He's a restorer. God, the anointing. Stay away from anything that can sap your life. Love righteousness. Hate wickedness. Keep close to Jesus. Do the basics. Do them well. Pray. Praise. Read the Bible. Obey it. Have communion. Stay in fellowship. Don't neglect the assembling together of the saints. Be thankful. Put on the whole armor of God and you will move forward. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. I cannot give you what I don't have, but what I have in Jesus' name you can have. God has put a fire in my heart. God has put passion in my heart. God has anointed me. I know I'm anointed and I know that you are anointed. But many of you don't know you're anointed, so I'm here to tell you and remind you. What I want to do this morning is I want to put the key in the ignition and activate the anointing. That's all I want to do. I want the anointing to come alive. You need to go back home and stir up the gifts of God. Speak to those gifts and say, come on gifts, I command you in Jesus' name. Be stirred up, hallelujah. Anoint yourself with oil, hallelujah. Remind yourself again and again, I am anointed by the Holy Spirit. Ask God for the greater anointing, hallelujah. The, the kingly anointing, the priestly anointing that helps you function. There are many anointings in the Bible. How many of you would say, Pastor, I feel at this stage in my life, I'm just being sucked dry by the things of the world. There's a dullness in my spirit. There's no longer that sense of wonderment. I don't come to church every Sunday morning with my eyes wide open with wonder and oh my goodness, I love Jesus with all my heart. I don't have that anymore. I don't feel that anymore. Sometimes it feels like I just come to church because it's a duty. I've lost that fire, lost that passion. Maybe some of you here today, you need a fresh, David said, anoint me with fresh oil, oh God. It's what we all need. We need that freshness of the anointing over our lives. Some of you here today, oh God, you realize that you've been anointed, but you've not been activated. And if you're not activated, then you cannot be appointed. When you say, Pastor, I need an activation of my gifts today. I need an activation of the anointing. 
If you need that, just, just raise your hands wherever you are. Just raise your hands. If your hands are raised, you just come to the front. Come on, just, we're going to make room for you uh, in this uh, front section. Just come to the front, remove the chairs as much as we can, but you just come and let the Holy Spirit do something so powerful in your life today. I believe the presence of God is so uh, evident in this place right now, and He's calling you. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.